Welcome to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. This man really needs no introduction. He's won everything in competition barbecue, been featured on Barbecue Pitmasters, and is widely considered one of the best people to meet, and not just in barbecue. This week, it is our esteemed pleasure to have Tuffy Stone, the professor, Pitmaster of Pool Smoke, on the podcast. I think you'll enjoy this interview, getting to know one of the legends of barbecue and hear his fantastic story. So please join me in welcoming Tuffy Stone. We have the pleasure today of sitting down with Mr. Tuffy Stone of Cool Smoke. How are you doing, buddy? Doing right, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for taking the time to be on here today. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, yeah. How's life been treating you during the pandemic? Oh, it's been a real kick in the pants. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we were talking before you, before we went live, you know, it's uh, been cooking for a living since 1987, and I always thought that uh, that skill set would be like being a plumber or a carpenter, but uh, this uh, this pandemic has shown me that that's not true, and so it's uh, it's been tough. You know, I lost I lost my dad uh, back at, uh, right at the start of it all, so that. You know, we, we have, actually we're going to have our service for him, uh, me and my sisters, uh, this Sunday. So we haven't even been able to have a proper, you know, tribute to Dad. So, anyways, it's uh, it's we're just I call it cooking my way through COVID. I'm, we're sitting in this little place right now called the Westover, and every Saturday and Sunday I fire up my jambo. Occasionally I got to fire it up in the middle of the week too, and just been cooking these Sunday suppers, take these whole chickens and brine them, air chill them overnight, season them the next day with just salt, fresh cracked pepper, granulated garlic, light a fire, think of dad, make this brown butter. Anyways, try and just cook these perfect Sunday supper chickens and and Luke is like, I just, uh, it's like therapy, but it's like I also, there's something about these chickens for me that's really important. Richmond community has been very uh, impacted by by COVID and and, and the people coming out are are afraid. And so when I'm cooking these chickens, it's like, can I cook a chicken that's delicious enough when when you have it that make you come back and get it again? It's like, it's been, been, you know, I just was down teaching a class with Melissa Cookston and Mississippi in that area is they're not afraid. They're going out and they're eating a lot. But my community here in Richmond's been very, very beat up by this whole pandemic. My catering company, which we started in 1993, I mean, I got people who've been there 20 years, and uh, it's been it's been tough. But you know, I just got my first vaccination, and my wife just got her second, and I know you just got yours. Hopefully, we're coming around the corner. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's been tough, and. I also experienced the loss right before uh, COVID. My mom passed away. So I know that every time I put a stick in my jambo, I think about your dad. <laughs> and uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there that, that have the same sentiment. I gave my dad his first iPhone, and my dad couldn't hear very well. In fact, I mean, to the point where I could lose my voice trying to talk to him driving to a contest because I'd have to repeat myself and get louder and louder and louder. But when I gave him his, his first iPhone, it was such a valuable tool for my dad. It, you know, it, in some respects, it was like one of the best things he ever got, and it was probably also one of the worst things he ever got because we can spend so much time on our smartphones. But 
but it, it was such a great way for my dad to communicate because now he could text and, and, and so he could correspond with somebody without having to listen. And, but he also found Facebook through that gift and, and, he, and, and in the beginning he'd be like, do you know this person? They're, they're asking to be friends. He'd be very, uh, very suspicious. But over time, he got to where he had friends all over the world through barbecue and Facebook. And when he passed away, I felt like I needed to let let the barbecue community know. And obviously, social media was a a good way to uh, let people know. And, and at the same time, there was so much heavy stuff going on in this world. And I was like, man, I don't want to add another layer of sadness to what everybody's going. But but I felt like. Uh, you know, I thought about it. I was like, I got to do it. And uh, but my dad was like, uh, you know, if, if we would go to a contest and, and have good results, he would put a post on Facebook, and and then he would like read all those results all the way back from from a contest, and it brought him so much joy. So uh, I don't know if they have fa Facebook in heaven or not, but if they do, uh, I know that he was very touched. I know I was touched by all the uh, the people that uh, expressed their love for Dale. Yeah, he's. Truly one of the barbecue greats out there. And uh, I know I learned a lot from him just at the class yeah, or whatever and yeah. watching him run the fire and everything. You know, that was, you know, it was always the, you see George out there with the sticks and it was like, man, this is what I want to learn how to do. And uh, <laughs> he will always be missed and he'll always have a place in everybody's heart. Well, one of the things that we like to talk about on here are uh, superstitions. Yeah. And things, do you have a set routine that you do every week when you have a contest? You know, uh, that's so funny. You talk about, so I, I have a collection of good luck charms. Some have been retired because they, they lost their ability to work. <laughs> good luck charms for me, like the first time I cooked Memphis in May, we went down there and I was with Pat Burke and the team and we were eating in a Mexican restaurant down in Memphis and I was out there in the parking lot looking for pennies head side up and uh, and I found three and we ended up, uh, that was 2010, and we ended up winning shoulders the first time we'd ever cooked Memphis in May. So I, I have a strong belief in, in good luck charms and I used to have uh, one of the first designs for Cool Smoke, this goes back a long time ago, I had a red t-shirt uh, it's worn out. I still have it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, one of the things I like to do. Oh, when I, I don't think I finished my point. Good luck charms for me are are this. You know, I like to go to a contest with with good wood, clean pit, sharp knives, fresh rub, good meat. I like to get there and know that I have everything that I need that's capable of of having good results. But good luck charms for me are like this idea that there's something out of our control. We can go and we can cook great meat, and we can put our best meat in the box, and we can do all the things that we need to do, but there's still something out there that's uh, a power greater than ourselves that we, we, we don't control that, you know, and, and so I think these good luck charms for me are just uh, awareness of that. You know, I, I can try my best and I can do my best, but it doesn't mean that I'll achieve the best that day. Something that I've been doing since the beginning is I like to go around and wish teams good luck. And I don't think that's superstitious. Uh, it's something that's important to me. And, and then if you get to like the American rule in the open and there's 550 teams, you really can't go wish all 550 teams good luck or else you'll be late for chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll, I'll 
I'll do a post or something like that to, to wish people luck. And I don't know, my, uh, this long time ago, I, you know, I think I'd already gotten a grand, but um, I went to a contest and all like the big wigs from the barbecue world were at this contest. And, um, and I had to leave after brisket turn in. And, and so they were texting me the results because I had to get back to Richmond to cater. I had to drive from North Carolina and I had to cater that night. They were texting me the results, or I don't remember what the places were. Byron Chisholm butt rub, he won the contest. You know, a lot of bulls there, smoking triggers, and, and you know, Jack's Old South, and you know, uh, all, all these, you know, legendary teams were there, but they were texting me our results, and, and we ended up getting reserve. And I was like, I was, I was so elated and so excited. And, but the next contest that we went to, I think, was in Maryland, and we never got out of our seat one time. <laughs> And my mom called me up and she said, Tuffy, I hear you didn't do so good this weekend. And I said, no, ma'am. And she said, well, you know, last weekend it was your turn and this weekend it was somebody else's. And, and that just always really stuck with me, you know. And, and, and you got, I think as, a, as competition barbecuers, it's, it's, it's really exciting when we do well. But I think you need to be able to take your licks, too. I think that's really important. And so for me, going around and wishing teams good luck is just this kind of I think I got my mom's words in my head when I'm doing that you know it's like uh, I think if I think if it was the same winner every time over and over again we'd probably go look at other hobbies or find different things that, yeah, yeah find something different to do. <laughs> no that's and that's one of the things that I've I've been doing this 10 years now and you know sometimes you're the bug sometimes you're the windshield that's and, it. That's <laughs> it. and just be grateful for the success you get and so you're one of the most successful people in barbecue, both commercially and in competition-wise. When you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, who comes to your mind? Who, who first pops into your mind? I mean, I, I, assume we're, I assume that question is driven around uh, competition. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, you know, it's, there's so many people to put on a list. I mean, I don't know if you've had, had the pleasure to be able to have any conversations with Pat Burke or not, but... Yeah. Pat Burke's like, if, if you hear how many contests he's won, I mean, and I, I watched that dude one time. I, we were actually, actually, we were filming Barbecue Pitmasters, and it was in Murfreesboro, and he was cooking on a cinder block pit, and he was burning wood down the coals, and he would, you know, take that shovel. And, but I watched him do his shoulders presentation for finals, and he was like a, he was like a, he was like watching a car dealer in Vegas, man. He was so smooth. And, and I had conversations with, with Pat about when, because he cooked his Tower Rock, but then he also cooked with Mike Mills and, and, and Apple City, I think. Is, and, and when Mike and, and Pat would cook and do their presentations, Pat said they were so good at it that it's like they would watch the judge's eyes, and when one of the judge's eyes went to go look somewhere else, the other person would step in, and and, and they would, but That's but great. but he just won. <laughs> they, he as Tower Rock, he won so many contests. Um, golly, you got you know laudable. And back in 2006, Mike Davis, when when he pulled in with his motor coach, you knew you were cooking for second place <laughs> in KCBS. Uh, you know, if you look at IBCA, you look at Ronnie and Michelle Wade and the the record that they had for so long. Hell, I mean, the maker of our pits, Jamie Gear. Uh, 
Sorry about that, folks. That's okay. <laughs> We're here at the restaurant. We're closed, so <laughs> call back uh, on Wednesday. You know, Rod Gray was, you know, I think he was team of the year in 09, KCBS. Uh, you know, Chris Lilly. I mean, golly, that dude. I don't think he's taught a class yet uh, towards competition barbecue, but I know if he ever does, uh, that that class will, will fill up quick. i got to tell you, Chris Lilly, the one thing that I've learned from Chris Lilly is attitude. That guy has an amazing attitude. Every time I talk to him, he is interested in what you're doing and just smile on his face and I really believe that's from barbecue. He's just a southern gentleman. He's uh, he's super, super positive. Um, real attention to detail. We were cooking the King of the Smokers uh, one year beside, beside each other and he had forgotten to bring his brush and uh, he asked me, he said, do you, do you have a brush I can borrow? And I was like, well, I got, I got it here. And it was a silicone brush. He's like, oh, no, no, I need a bristle brush, you know? <laughs> and, and I like, you know, he, and he and I are similar. When we cook the Invitational in the open, we both do the same thing after the Invitational. We clean our pits and, and get them ready for round two. Um, but, but Lily's a soldier. You know, some of these, I, I'm not on the circuit as much like you are right now. I'll probably, the last contest I cooked was probably the Jack. It was. And so I, I didn't cook a contest last year. Yeah, I've been down to about five, seven contests a year. You know, you're going to cook next week, or this week, Yeah, this week. And you're going to have all the heavy hitters there, it sounds like. I mean, Darren's going to be there, and Brad's going to be there, and or maybe not, I don't know. Yeah, but, I well, mean, we're trying to talk him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long ways to go. Well, he cooks on drums. He can probably just fly in a bar stuff. <laughs> That's his plan, I think. But he, right now, he's just cooking unbelievable food to be as consistent as he is. Yeah. You know, I've got to watch a little bit of it, and it, yeah, their palates and their flavor profiles are pretty, pretty amazing right now. Yeah. And everybody's trying to catch up. So. Yeah. Man, this is, this is a fun question. <laughs> Maybe for you, <laughs> I don't know what it is yet. You talked about the pits, and Jamie. I think that this is, you know, you've always, have you always cooked on Jambos in competition? Uh, no, I started off at the lane, and the first time I laid my eyes on a Jambo was at my second barbecue contest, which happened to be in my hometown, and I was up with all the stick burners that night while, uh, I don't think anybody was really cooking on drums that much on the East Coast at that time, but they, there was a lot of people cooking on FE100s. So all the pellet cookers were asleep and all the stick burners were up. And I used to put my meat on earlier back then and I was up. I'd just meet these guys and uh, i take this back. This is the first contest I ever cooked. Anyways, it was chilly and we were all, all stick burners were huddled up and talking. And, you know, barbecuers are a friendly group <laughs> of people. But anyways, they started talking and they're like, he hadn't even lit his fire yet. And I go, who hadn't lit his fire yet? And they go, Johnny. Johnny hadn't lit his fire yet. I go, who's Johnny? They go, Johnny Trigg. I go, who's Johnny Trigg? <laughs> and I didn't know. So anyways, they explained to me about Johnny. And, and I've always been a curious person. I always ask a lot of questions. And so his lights on his RV were off. And about 4.30 in the morning, they popped on. So I walked over there to introduce myself. Well, Johnny, television made Johnny a lot friendlier. <laughs> That's but, the truth. So, anyways, <laughs> here's this big old Texan in Virginia, 
wondering who is this skinny dude, you know, <laughs> annoying me at 4.30 in the morning. Anyways, that was the first Jambo I ever saw, and I'm like, man, that thing is so pretty. And he ended up, we got two, that was my first contest, we got two calls. Johnny and Trish took all the Virginia money because they won. They took it back. He, he, he walked the same way back then as he does today. You know, he got his knees tucked in a little bit. Anyways, uh, he won that contest. And he had talked to me, and he said that he would sell me that Jambo after the Jack. But then it turned out that he was going to keep it. This is back when Jamie only built two pits in the winter, and that was it. So I put together this business plan for my wife. And I rehearsed it, and I, I wrote it all out, and I type, and I'm chicken pecker, you know, chicken pecker when it comes to typing. So she came on one evening, and I gave her a glass of wine, and then I gave her another. And then I, I wish I still had a copy of this. So I, I, in this business proposal, it was like all the things that could possibly happen if I could get the Jambo. And she let me get one. And that's, I still have it. It's the grill vet. I got it, uh, had to go to Texas to get it. But no, I have not always cooked on a Jambo, but I love Jambos. It's an amazing machine. And whenever I, it's funny, you mentioned the King of the Smoker, and it was the one time that we were out there, and it's two in the morning, and I'm cooking on Backwoods, but I'm the only one out there in that parking lot. And I was like, what is, either I'm doing it wrong, or these guys all know something I don't. And then, you know, 6.37, all you guys come out of the hotel. Well, we're not, I'm not quite that hot. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing it. No, you were out there. Time. You were out there. Dad would have been there you, at, uh, at 2 and lit the fire at 2 yeah. and put the meat on at 3. And so we, uh, so I'm sitting there and these guys all come out and I'm like, okay, they all got a full night's sleep. Which is important, you know. Very important. Yeah. And I was like, that's when I made the decision that I was going to learn how to I was going to get a Jambo and I was going to learn how to do this. And first thing that I did was signed up for your class to learn how to run that fire. I got into barbecue. I started off in a French kitchen and we started our catering company and we grew that catering company to a point where we eventually had like 50 full-time employees and I wasn't cooking anymore. And I, I got into barbecue as a, as a new culinary activity to reconnect as a cook. And we could do a whole podcast uh, episode just on my love for barbecue and cooking with fire. But um, I really like, I like cooking on all sorts of things. Grills and pits and stoves and campfires and whatever. But, but being able to play with logs and, and create airflow and, 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 and manipulate. It's so funny, I've been cooking a lot recently on, on the stick burner and it's like sometimes I'm in the mood for a lot of smoke you know and sometimes I'm in the mood for a little bit of smoke you know I, I always say I like to treat smoke like salt and pepper I want that flavor to be like a seasoning but um but, but with an offset pit and especially one like Jamie's pits we can really play with that fire and through airflow clean it up make it a little smoky you know and i've got stories to tell about where i needed to make it a little more smoky you know um so J jambos are fun but you know you go back to your backwoods thing hot a damn kick-ass barbecue come out of those backwoods look at melissa cookston and what she does in whole hogs with those with those backwoods steve farron probably my real mentors mm -hmm. in, in barbecue i smell smoke uh, he cooked on backwoods i think that's one of the best things about what we do is 
one of my things that I say all the time is that barbecue is the second American art form next to the blues. And I really believe that it is, it is inherently something that we do in this country, but there's also, there's 10,000 ways to do it and 10,000 different ways to make it, make it taste great. And I think that's what I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've gone down your road a little bit in that, you know, I just love cooking. We did Snake River Farms hot dogs on a solo stove last weekend at the yeah. campsite just because why not we got it here and yeah. take that microwave shelf off the jambo lay it right down on there and people are like, you're gonna cook on that i'm like oh yeah it's got some nice pecan logs in there it'd be delicious <laughs> i'm making me it's not lunch this guy's getting close to lunch making, making me hungry now <laughs> Let's get back into the questions here. I mean, okay. we could spend a lot of time together. We could do like five I, I, sets. Everybody, we're not trying to put you to sleep. So <laughs> if you need to take a potty break or get some coffee. So you mentioned that you're you're a French trained chef. One of the questions I ask is, what is your background? How does your background help you for competitions? What sort of stuff from being trained in that manner has helped you in the competition world? First of all, Chef Alain lives about 200 yards from where we sit. And I worked, initially I worked for Chef Alain for free. And then I worked my way up to his partner and the sous chef. And then he ended up working at my catering company for 10 years. And Chef Alain's just a really brilliant chef. And, you know, I, I, I started working for him when I got out of the Marine Corps. So the discipline from, from Marine Corps and discipline into his kitchen, they, they were just the same. Yeah. And so he taught me a lot of great things. But barbecue's funny. And a lot of times you'll, you can pull into a contest and there'll be, a, you know, a chef in their jacket and their hat. And they don't always fare that well. When I got into competition barbecue and barbecue as a whole, and, and I, I got, for me, like where I'm at, I like cooking barbecue. I like, I, I love competition barbecue. I like the people that I'm friends with in competition barbecue. But I also just like cooking barbecue for people to eat and that whole process. And, and, and it's a little more relaxed in some respects. But, but some of the thoughts that I had when I got into competition barbecue and, and, and barbecue was, man, I bet Demi Gloss is really good on flank steak, flank steak or brisket, excuse me. I think demi-gloss would be really good on brisket or white truffle salt would be really good on brisket. But what I learned is don't take that to a barbecue contest. <laughs> so I had to like, I had to back up a little bit. I had to kind of back up and say, all right, I, I coined this phrase, stereotypical expected flavors of barbecue. And those, those tastes, those flavors are things like the meat, smoke, salt, pepper, acidity, onion, garlic, paprika, maybe a little cumin, maybe vinegar, maybe sweet, depending on where you're at. Um, but there's those kind of t smoke for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, there's those tastes that people are expecting to taste when you serve them barbecue. And so it's not demi-glace and it's not white truffle salt, although those tastes would be very good. And it's not probably not cilantro because cilantro is a very polarizing flavor so I had to back up shut up listen and learn that and then as I got better and I ruined so much meat initially 
and that's a whole nother story. But I, I made so much bad barbecue, and I might make it again next week. But um, because texture is so important to barbecue, and that's that's a lesson you got to learn and figure out. And there's so many. I, I, I was so blown away by barbecue because you know I was like I could make sushi and I could temper chocolate and I could do all these hard to pronounce expensive foods to buy and I'm like man I'm get a barbecue pit and get some wood and get some pork butts make a rub and fire it up and I, I must have ruined 80 pounds of butts and it was so humbling but I fell in love with it but anyways to, I think to answer your question over time once I kind of like once I kind of like backed up and listened and learned. Then I was able to later come in and or, or apply some of my lessons learned in strict kitchens to the process of making barbecue. And, and, and so that's helped me, but it didn't help me to start. It got in the way to start and mm-hmm. I had to just back up. Um, I love it, man. It's like, I mean, I cooked, I just cooked yesterday on my rig right outside this wall here and I cooked uh, whole chickens and Probably everybody that's listening right now, we can all relate. I mean, I'm, y'all can't. I, Luke and I are doing this face to face. We're not. We're not doing this uh, via the telephone right now. And, and 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 so it's like it's such an easy way to nod and say, "Yep, yep, yep." We all are in love with this process of of cooking with fire and taking the tough cuts of meat. Taking the. I mean, this. I always say this isn't the food that the. Uh, that the rich people got this was like the poor person food you know it was like you know it was like you know the tough cuts of meat you know when the fillets when the tenderloins it was the tough cuts of meat it was briskets and shoulders and ribs and these foods that we got to cook for hours and hours to get to the succulent tenderness and and not have it be too smoky and uh, i don't know man it's like it's uh i think you said it best earlier when you said it's therapy yeah because i i feel the same way it's when i'm putting meat in the the old hickory for for cooking for a vending or for an event or something that's one thing but sitting there in the morning when it's sun's coming up and put the brisket on it there's just something religious about it almost you know you think about it um no one's waiting for a letter in the mail much anymore it's a text it's a tweet it's a post everything's so fast you know we, uh, smartphones have replaced encyclopedias um there's this but barbecue is one of these 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 activities, uh, these processes, these methods of cooking that it's not fast, and so uh, so just sit back for a moment, take a breath, have a have a iced tea, have a bourbon, have a beer, and and build a fire and cook some meat and enjoy that enjoy that process. That's a that's a great analogy for just slowing it down. And slowing down life, basically, is... And I think that's what's great about barbecue, especially just cooking. And, you know, when you don't have to cook a competition, you're right. Trying to figure that all out. There's a lot to be said for just, you know, making a fire and cooking some meat. Just, yeah, that's great stuff. (laughs) So we like to talk about successes. One of my favorite things to talk about is failures. Do you have any favorite failures of yours during your competition where that really guided you going forward? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's so amazing to me that what was so awful at the time that it happened ended up, and it took me took me time to realize it. it what was the worst thing at the time ended up being probably the best thing that might have happened to me in barbecue. 
uh, and that was in Lakeland, Florida, when I got disqualified. They had actually accepted my box, and, and I was actually doing an interview, and it was like 47 minutes after, like 47 minutes after 1.30, so it was like, what was that, 2, two, two something like that. Yeah. My dad kept calling me and calling me, and I was doing an interview, and I was like, man, after he did it like three times, I was like, I'm sorry, this must be important. So I went to the site, and uh, the reps were there, and they were telling me I was late for a brisket. My dad and I were devastated, and we went to the awards, and we pulled a first, a second, and a fourth uh-huh. in the other three categories. We could have been last in brisket had we not been disqualified and still won the contest. It was so funny, Luke. We were we were driving back on Sunday. We were so devastated. We were driving back on Sunday. I get a phone call, and it's Mike Richter. He says, Tuffy, did I just see you driving south on 95? I said, no, I'm driving home, Mike. He said, man, I'm sure I saw your rig. Well, we had just stopped at, uh, to get fuel, and I got back on the freeway and, and was going south and not north. <laughs> Thank goodness he saw me. But we were just so devastated by that whole experience. So I, you know, talk about being a chef and, and what skill. I can, I can build a pretty box, and I can do it swiftly. And so I always felt like it was really important to get meat to the judges that was hot. And chicken, you know, when that gets turned in, that just goes right on in. Uh, but as you get deeper into the categories, they start sorting these boxes. And so I always was, like, trying to make sure that my brisket was hot. And anyways, they had, it was such a, I wish I had a, like, a, I wish I'd had a GoPro on my hat running that box because I had to, like, scale a wall to get, the, and anyways, there was all this stuff. And was, but, but the real truth is your food needs to eat well cold. And... So initially after that happened, I started turning in way too soon because I never wanted that to happen again. But what I learned through that process, Luke, and actually Steve Farron shared it with me, and he was such a great mentor. But anyways, when I started to slow down a little bit and really take my time and really scrutinize all the, the food that I had cooked that day and, and put that properly in the box, and I had, hell, we'd been team of the year before that incident, but the success that, the good fortune that we were able to have later down the road, and it, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't immediate. It was a process. But I learned through slowing it down and, 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 and giving myself more space to do the job properly and not be rushed, uh, which meant starting that process of building that box sooner. So what it ended up being like a really bad day ended up being, in the long run, a really wonderful thing. You're always teaching. We had a conversation, Kim and I had a conversation last night about how when it's turn-in time in the trailer that I, I am super time-obsessed. I always am. If I'm not 10 minutes early for something, then I've lost. Like, that's just the way that I'm built, and... When it comes to turn-in times, I become super focused on that number on the wall and not super focused on my taste or my tenderness. And we, we literally had a conversation about this last night. I was like, you know what? I think I need to just, number one, relax. Number two, be conscious of the time, but don't let it run my life at that point and let my mouth, my smell and everything else that I need to make those that, turns. That's, that's, where the, that's where, for me, I got better. 
when I gave myself more breathing room and really focused on this process versus that clock, knowing that I was going to have plenty of time because I gave myself plenty of time, I, I had some good days. <laughs> always teaching. You're always teaching. It's So recently I had the opportunity to do these uh, hour workshops with high school kids at a governor's school uh, and awesome. about being a pit master both on the catering side and in the competition side and one of the things that I one of the first things I told them is like one of your keys to success is having everything that you need right in front of you so you're not running around looking for it it's all there your mise en place it's well, I was just waiting right to there so that, that that's <laughs> mise en place to, to, to have everything in its place to be organized is super 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 important and and that's that's one of the things that Chef Alain taught me to do really well was to to be organized. Well, and it's one of the things that you taught me to do very well, and uh, it's still, especially to this day, when I go cooking, I'm by myself, especially. Especially then. Like foil is all torn and ready yeah. to go, yeah, and yeah. everything's in its place Just in the morning. It, but it makes you so that your brain's clear. Yeah. And. I was trying to tell these kids, like, this applies not just to barbecue. This School, app- everything. Everything, your job, That's right. schoolwork. Make sure you have everything that you need to be successful right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, you've said, like, three things today that just take me back to your class. And I'm like. <laughs> you know, I had an old friend, uh, he, say, he used to say, plan your work and work your plan. You know, it's like the folks that are out there on the circuit every weekend, it becomes like a muscle memory. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, those processes, you don't even have to think about it. My processes are so, it was so interesting, you know, teaching with Melissa a couple of weeks back. You know, it was the first time, first time I'd done a class uh, since Dad had passed, so that was a little uh, strange. But, uh, and I brought a good friend of mine who helps me with a lot of this stuff, but I hadn't done the competition stuff in over a year. And, but yet my processes have been the same for so long. I mean, I, there's changes, but not big changes, uh, that even, you know, even when I don't do it very often, it's still there, you know, but it, but I think that if you had randomness and you, and you didn't have a process and you didn't have your mise en place together, then it'd probably be more challenging. That, there was a really, he's still alive, um, Music City Pig Pals, Ali McWright, we were cooking in Lakeland, Florida one time and he said, Tuffy, what time are you going to light your pit? It's like, well, and he goes, well, Will's not an answer. And I was like, man, I got his point right then and there. And I went and sat. I was cooking back then. I was cooking under under an easy up tent. And I went and sat down in a chair and I wrote down my cook schedule from what I was going to start doing first thing on Friday till brisket turn in on Saturday. And I became real list driven after that. And it's it's so much better. I tell people all the time, it's like review your cook on the way home. We we could win a contest and we're still reviewing our cook because even if we won it, there were still things that we could have done better. And and there's no better time to review that cook than when it's still fresh in your memory. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that barbecue has taught me is because I before I did all this, not time sensitive, disorganized, no lists. I'll remember it, you know, and now it's, you know, I lay in bed at night on Friday night and I review the entire timeline for the next day so that it's there and then I'll look at it a hundred times the next day. And, you know, and now with, with devices, we can put our whole 
cook schedule into our phones with alarms and not even have to think about it. But you know, you talking about the whole aluminum foil being done before you go to bed. You don't need it until the next morning. But that's one thing that we can do in advance that doesn't hurt the quality of anything. It's like we don't want to season our meat too soon and we don't want to light our fire too soon and we don't want to do things that, that impact our, our product in a negative way too soon. But anything that we can do like folding of aluminum foil or, or getting your chimney with your charcoal and your newspaper ready, those kind of things, why not? It's one less thing we have to think about or do when things start to get busy. Yeah, and that's, again, I keep coming back to it. That's one thing I learned from you, and it's made me a, a lot better cook because of that. And you know, Kim Kim sees it on Friday or Saturday morning. She sees the look on my face. She sees the foil, and she knows, like, now's not the time to talk about anything else but this because that's I've cleared I've cleared the deck. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's right. You know, it's like if you compete like probably you and I do and others, the mental focus that we put into trying to hit our marks can be uh, there's, there's a lot of pressure that can be pressure I don't know what the word is but if we can find these moments where we can have like a mental vacation or, or rest during the process different places within our cook it just it helps for the next steps you know we talked earlier about rest being important rest is so important if you stay up all night long and you got smoke in your face and maybe you had couple of beers too many I don't know if you're going to cook as well as if you had been rested didn't have your face in the smoke the whole time and were maybe you know drinking some water too but you know these little places where I find you know once all my prep is done on Friday I got I got a little mental downtime sleep mental downtime get the fire going the meats are on there's different places because once we get to about chicken time there's no there's no downtime until after briskets. <laughs> right, you're going the whole time. Uh, would you say your good luck walk is also one of those help clear the? Yeah, but what I also learned is I had to you know, uh, just like that lesson I learned in Lakeland, Florida, I've learned that I have I, I need to be smart when I start my good luck walk because I have gone around and and like if there's 35 teams there, I feel bad if I only went to 32. And, and and so what I found myself doing this is so silly. I'm like going around, like, all right, I got three more to go. Well, my chicken needs to get turned on uh, or put on the uh, smoker. So I had a couple of times where chicken didn't get turned, uh, put on the smoker at the right time because, you know, I, I, I didn't start the walk soon enough. So what I, because I always used to, anyways, uh, <laughs> I always hear Chris Capel's voice saying it. I don't know if it was the first time that I ever heard it or not, but better to be looking at it than looking for it. And so that's just been one of these things that just always sticks with me, and I, I say it all the time, and I use it as a strategy all the time. But So if you, if you decide you want to go do good luck walks and, and wish everybody good luck, just do it at the right time. <laughs> that's great advice. We're going to get into my favorite part of this interview right. here in a minute, the rapid-fire questions. Right. But I have one more big one to ask you. Right. What do you think separates a good pit master from a great pit master? Yeah, Lee, there's so many things that, that, that come to my head after that. But I think it's all in how you handle catastrophes uh, or how you handle things that there, there are so many. I, I, fear, I feel weird using this as, as an example because it's myself. But... In 2013, we were cooking the Royal, 
and I always look at the weather. I always know what the weather is going to be doing because I, some of my cooking processes are, are impacted by the, the ambient temperature and the wind and those kind of things. And I told my dad, I was like, all right, I want you to run the fire 300 to 315 degrees because it's going to be cold down here by the creek in the mm -hmm. holler. And I knew it was going to put a challenge for the whole field that day. But I was running my pit about 25, 30 degrees hotter. Sometimes I'll do that for like the first hour. But I was like, we're doing this the whole way. And my big cuts, my pork and my brisket, usually come off about 9.30, 10-ish in the morning. I had one brisket ride until noon. And at the jack, you got to cook dark meat and white meat, turn in dark meat and white meat, and, and, and I do. And, and so the way I cook, I end up having three pans of chicken in my cooker, but I had to put I had to put my chicken breast meat in a pan on top of the briskets because they were still rolling. When it came to building the rib box, and I had four racks of ribs to choose from, they were tight. They were tough. Even though I'd been running a higher, hotter fire, they were they were tough. So I had to sort through four racks of ribs to find tender bones. And the presentation wasn't great because I wasn't able to get, you know, right. four bones in a row or five bones in a row. And I just was picking through all those bones. And, and so all the ribs that were still left on the table, my teammates, you know, and everybody that was at our cook site, they were eating the ribs. And everybody said, man, the ribs are tough. The ribs are tough. And I said, well, I think the ribs that I put in the box were tender. And I think we got like a fourth place rib call. But... So maybe maybe the the short answer to your question is is experience time. I had not cooked a lot of brisket when I first got into barbecue. I'd cooked a lot of things in my life, but not brisket. And so there's so many things to barbecue is like baking a cake or baking cookies in 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 in, the, in this respect. When you bake a cake recipe multiple times, you'll get to the point where if you cook it enough, you'll get to the point where you can tell by the smell in the in the kitchen. It's time to go take a peek in the oven. You open that door and you can look and say, it's not time to touch it with my fingers yet. But, and, and you know, so you get these nuances down. And, and so barbecue and, and cooking with fire and these tough cuts of meat, you and I both know there's a lot of things that we can repeat. Uh, and it takes experience and, and doing this many times to get to that level of, of, of comfortability and knowledge with that. And, and, you know, ribs, for example, I mean, that sweet spot where ribs finally get to the point where they're, they're tender, but they're not mealy or, or you know, or, and, and there's, there's just so many nuances. So I think it's just, it's probably time at the fire, but being able to make those adjustments and, and it doesn't have to just be in competition barbecue. I mean, uh, I was doing a plate of dinner one time for 3,100 people, a uh, three-course meal, and, you know, we had 260-some people working the event. We had 88 chefs plating this food, and uh, I had all these ovens brought down from Washington, D.C. that we had rented, and, and they were all in this um, loading dock of, of this big sports arena, and there was, like, this big wind tunnel that was blowing through there, and it kept kept blowing all the pilots out on the ovens and it kept going out and I was like this is so stressful and I got you could hear the roar of the 3100 people inside the building 
and I ended up having to uh, cook all of this food on on the stove tops of these ovens on sheet pans and I got it all cooked and we made it through there and people were just couldn't believe that food was hot for that many people but I think it's so it's probably just getting to the experience level where we can make adjustments on the fly or I don't know if that's the right answer or not but that's what no, I No, it is and it's you know I tell people all the time they were like how what was your turning point and mine was cooking I mean just you have to know what can go wrong and you have to know how to address it you can have 10 briskets up there and they're all 10 going to cook different yeah yeah absolutely animals are just like people they're all different so these chickens I was cooking on Sunday I think I I think I cooked 12 cooking uh, I think I cooked 12 chicken yesterday whole three and a half pound birds and almost every one of them came off at a different time yep and that's that's what makes barbecue fun because yeah. it's it's going to be different every yeah. time yeah all right, man. Rapid fire. I'm nervous. The rapid fire is good. I'm a little scared. I asked you literally 10 questions, so we're going to have to do a part two of this at some point down the road because okay. I've got a bunch more. But right. uh, what a great, great conversation, a great interview. So I love this one. Uh, you look in your eyes. What do you see about barbecue on social media that bothers you? I don't probably watch that part of it as much as some of my friends do. Uh, I don't like it when there's a lot of beating up on the organization of competition barbecue and in this case I'll probably speak more specifically to Kansas City Barbecue Society. Kansas City Barbecue Society is a nonprofit organization uh, and its leadership are, are hard-working volunteers that, that give their time to try and, and help this organization and and if you've ever been involved with any kind of board there, you know, my mom used to have this saying that it takes all types to make the world go round, and, and so there's lots of opinions, and, and, and when you get this collective group of people together, I guess I want everybody to, to share and offer input to help our organization, because I think anybody, that, that whether you're a judge or a rep or, or a cook or an organizer, we'd all like to see Competition Barbecue continue to thrive. So I, don't, I guess I don't like it when there's criticism without maybe offering you know maybe a better way of doing it so i i think all of us just being careful or polite as to how we communicate those kind of things that's probably something and and there's a lot of beautiful people out there that are so hard working and have so many great points of view and and so for the most part i i see polite you know ladies and gentlemen uh, sharing input in, in really healthy ways, but if, if if ever I see it and it seems to not be in a healthy way, that bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Do you have a favorite pre, during, or post-competition meal? Oh, man, this is going to make me a little emotional. Um, oh, no. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, my dad and I, would, when I had this uh, C-class motorhome and we would drive back from a competition and then we would miss breakfast on Saturday and we'd miss lunch on Saturday and and then we would have to clean up and get everything loaded on the RV and and then I would have to drive and uh, dad would make us a brisket sandwich for the leftover briskets with Duke's mayonnaise and some some bread that's it wow I'm sorry man (laughs) that's all right (laughs) good thing it's not television you know what it's a great it's a great way to remember and uh, I'm sorry Ah, that's good. Um, He's up in heaven smiling. He is. You're wearing your Duke's mayonnaise (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. 
What is your favorite present that you like to give to people? Oh, man. Um, it's probably a cooking tool that I really am fond of. So, like, there's a grinder that I really like that's a, a, a spice grinder that I will gift to people from time to time. And then there's this, there's this carbon steel Japanese butcher knife that I'm quite fond of. And, and, and so I've gifted that out before. You know, I like, like all the, the pots that I use to warm my sauces and competition barbecue, they, they were all my mom's. I, I like to cook with things that, that belong to somebody that I, that I knew or know. And so to be able to give somebody like a knife or, or a pepper grinder, maybe they'll think about me when they use it. Um, so, so I think giving some tools that, that I really feel like are very useful and something that you can use all the time and well made. That's better than my preferred gift of underwear. So, <laughs> <laughs> What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about you? There really aren't, can't be too many, though, because you're pretty much, you're on the sleeve. Is <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think there are any to be honest. I don't know. I don't know if you if you, if if there are, just um, reach out to Luke and he'll he'll, he'll run a Bobby. I don't. Know. Oh, I, I got one. Never trust a skinny chef. <laughs> there is one. There we go. Never trust a skinny chef. <laughs> All right. If you could have a giant billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions and billions of people. What would it say and why? And I don't know if this is a Weber thing or not, but uh, I think I think it could be one of their taglines: "Slow down and, and, and grill," or "Slow down and cook." I I don't know. I think um, the passions of the table, the pleasures of the table. It's like I grew up in an age where we had Sunday supper at the table, the whole family. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think life's gotten really really busy and and. And we just, you know, you get taking your kids to baseball or soccer or, you know, there's the hell we can't even get away from work anymore because because usually uh, a source to our email and responsibilities is in our front pocket. So I don't know. I just think uh, slowing down and, 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 you know, keep on smoking. You know, I, I like to sign the when I sign a book for somebody, I always put on there, keep on smoking. But um, I think something some kind of messaging that would invite people to to cook and and, and enjoy that process of having meals together and I, I'd, I'd have to i'd have to wordsmith it a little bit but that would be the gist of it and i don't care whether you're at your grill or your smoker or your stove just just celebrating some some relationships and family time uh, you know over some good food yeah. Luke you and uh, a lot of your good buddies um, one of the things that, that I get to see and in, in y'all do so much better than my dad and I did is 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 the fellowship of, of getting to these you know you talked about cooking the snake river farms hot dogs over the, the solo uh, stove but just that camaraderie and that fellowship and that friendship, whether it be with our family or just our, our friends, I think I think that's really important thing that we need to try and keep around, you know, um, and not just get swallowed up by our uh, our iPhones. And it's one of those things I think that's changed a lot in competition barbecue, even since I've been involved. 
you know, it used to be everybody got there Thursday, stayed till Sunday. There was always a potluck and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I think we've gone down this road of everybody just hiding in their trailer and doing what they want to do. And so we've kind of made it our mission in these past couple of years, especially with COVID and everything, and doing it safely, but still trying to bring people together and, and have a, you know, make sure, have a good time. You know, Darren is the one that taught me. He's Darren like, and, and Sherry are... Uh great examples of bringing the, the the fun and the friendship into you know it's like I like it when they uh, at the Royal when they do the, the fried pork tenderloin uh, sandwiches for everybody I mean, I've been fired from that operation three times already <laughs> <laughs> I'm now in the hospitality department of that event <laughs> <laughs> but you know but but you're right and it has been a change so many when I got into competition barbecue, uh, met so I met so many amazing people like you have as well, and um, and and there was always a large population of people there. There were some people that were really focused on trying to win, but but there was a really large group of people there that just were there for the the fun and the fellowship and 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 the food and and the, the libations and. And there's still some of those. It, I, I, it's probably just more competitive today than yeah. it once was and a little more serious than it once was. Well, I mean, I think back to my very first event, Barbecue Jamboree in Fredericksburg. I think you guys filmed Pitmasters there that oh, year. Yeah. We were taken in by Jerry Dyer from JD Smoking Misfits, yeah. Mike Palmer, yeah. uh, Mike Richter. Yeah. You mentioned him earlier, and uh, that was when we knew that we were – Around good people. Around good people and on to something fun. Yeah, so, yeah. So, great, Tuffy. Well, I just want to thank you again for taking some time today, buddy. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Luke, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, I was a little scared of these rapid-fire questions, but uh, I'll, I'll be happy to do your show again. Uh, I don't know I don't know how long your list is of rapid-fires. There might be some further down that make me <laughs> No, no, we're nervous. good. We're good. But, yeah, we have a whole – we can do a round two at some point. So. Uh, Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. We will have another episode for you next week. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. Old Virginia Smoke.